What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listening to the new WCEG network on WCEGTalkRadio.com or watch us live on your smart TV, YouTube, WCEG network. I'm Dr. Charles Ross. I'm the host of Your Personal Finance for the next hour with the Worldwide Community Empowerment Group, where we speak life into the community. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and also on Instagram at WCEG underscore talk underscore radio and at WCEG network. And of course, disclaimer, all the topics and opinions of those of the show host and guests and not of WCEG network. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today we're going to do something interesting. I've never done a, sh- a show uh, in my years on broadcasting to link uh, money and your and your mental health. And we have with us Jose Muldrow, and she's going to be g- giving us some idea because you know uh, this pandemic has really caused a lot of people to have to hit the reset button. I mean, you have people that have uh, lost their job. You have people that have been evicted, even though there's a moratorium across the country, supposedly, but a lot of people uh, just had to move because they couldn't live where they're living anymore. And then they had to have expenses that they just didn't incur- didn't know about, you know? So there's a lot of, lot of uh, anxiety, I think, in the country. We're not even gonna talk about the racial stuff going on. That's a whole nother issue, but oh, just the man. money part uh, is just enough to get people, you know, going. And yeah. if you've been very fortunate to have a job, very fortunate to have a place to still to stay, uh, a lot of people uh, probably anticipating that something's going to change at some point. That if you haven't, if they haven't paid their rent in three months, two months, six months, eventually they're going to have to do something. Right. Okay. They have to do something. If you haven't paid your mortgage, you're going to have to do something. And so if you've lost your job, if you lost your home and lost your apartment, uh, that's one thing, but the anticipation of what's coming up, the unknown, I mean, who would ever thought a year or so ago, everybody would be walking around like, uh, you know, like, like Michael Jackson used to do with a mask. You remember that? Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> they knew something there. So, uh, you know, Ms. Muldrow is going to help us with that and try to understand that perhaps your anxiety uh, mm-hmm. And maybe even to the extreme of the, of depression, and maybe yeah. even suicide, yeah. is 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 a not natural reaction. But it's what you do with it. But yes. before I get too deep into it, uh, Jose, you want to kind of introduce yourself? You know, yeah. where you're from, where you went to school, and and your full title and your certifications okay. and all that kind of good stuff. Of course. Well, first, I want to say thank you so much, Dr. Ross, for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm excited to just talk about this topic. I don't think people think about the intersection of financial wellness and mental health a lot, but it's so important. Um, My name is Jose Muldrew. I am a licensed associate professional counselor in the state of Georgia. I'm originally from Flint, Michigan, um, but I went to Spelman College for undergrad um, here in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I received my master's degree from Boston University School of Medicine in clinical mental health counseling and behavioral medicine, and then relocated back to Atlanta. I'm currently working as a school-based therapist at Price Middle School. Um, And so a lot of my work right now focuses on children and adolescents, Um, but I have, um, you know, done a lot of work as well with adults and older populations. And I think it's important to look at this um, spectrum when we talk about financial wellness and mental health. I'm going to talk about it in terms of understanding 
being an adult and being in these situations where you do have this responsibility. But I think I'll also touch on different things that speak to why it's so important to develop um, mental wellness very early on and how as you progress, that can also help you into adulthood and being um, financially well and having this financial literacy. Well, great. You know, uh, you know, I really didn't know all your credentials, but now I'm really impressed. I was impressed with you before, but now I'm really, really impressed. Um, Before we get into that, since you mentioned the issue of that you deal with mostly children, youth, middle school students, Mm -hmm. um, and we're talking about finances, in your, when you're working with kids, do you sense that they have some of the anxiety that their parents may have concerning money and things like that? Is that something that comes up? You you would think that there's enough stuff for for what you do and the trauma that these kids have been through and are going through. Do they also internalize a lot of that? They internalize so much of it, Dr. Ross. And I would also say a huge portion of the trauma sometimes that they present with is literally connected to financial strain. So a lot of them who present when they name some of the trauma that they're experiencing related mm-hmm. to poverty, homelessness, like all of this instability that's also then creating the stress within the family. And so what I found is that even though as children, you may not be as connected to finances and what it means, um, we absorb so much as children and we're so attuned to our parents and what their experiences are. And so a lot of times you find children maturing very fast and feeling like they have to take responsibility in the home. So I have a lot of younger kids who are finding any way they can to kind of help make money because they want to be able to contribute so that there's not as much financial instability in the home as a way to support not only themselves, but also their parents. And so I think that um, adds a layer to the anxiety they experience because they're always trying to figure out even though they want to be young and just be a child and not have this responsibility, a lot of children um, aren't always afforded the opportunity. And so you see them um, finding connections to finances early on because of the instability and poverty that they're experiencing and the need to support family. I would also say with that, um, a lot of kids, I think, normalize poverty in some ways, depending on their environment, their situation. Mm-hmm. When you look around and, you know, everyone around you is kind of experiencing the same thing, you start to not think that like the financial situation that you're in is necessarily wrong or hindering you because it's like, well, everybody else around me is like experiencing the same thing. So it's normal for us to like have food stamps. It's normal for us to like maybe not be able to support for ourselves in this certain way at this time. And I think with that, that's why it's so important for some of the work to begin young, because if you're situated um, in an environment where this is just all you know and all you've experienced, you can become comfortable in just staying in that environment and living in that anxiety and just not knowing what's going to come next, but having to prepare for some sort of financial strain to like impact the family. I've done a little research in trauma mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, not nearly as extensive as you have, but in the parts that it really, you know, challenges me with the with kids with the trauma is, yeah. you know, uh, how they deal with it and how trauma affects the body and mm-hmm. as, as an educator, you know, uh, how it affects their learning and yes. their, their brain, you know, yeah. and we don't understand because we don't, you know, we think that, you know, because the brain is in the brain is inside our head, we yeah. don't see the damages that is being done, you right. know, neurons and all that kind of stuff is just one of those mystery things, but we see it in the product and that they're not able to cope with the situation that they're dealing with. I was talking with a student today, a young lady, uh, 14 years of age, eighth grader, and she told me, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm moving and relocating to another area of town. And she, that was her last day at school. And so I started talking to her and she said, well, yes, I live with my 17 and 18 year old sister. And you're thinking like, wow, you know, you yeah. know how does that work? Her mother's in a nursing home because she had a, uh, I think an aneurysm or something on her brain. Mm. But it is that you can only imagine what this child has to deal with in yeah. just coming to school and yeah. uh, let alone the financial issues that may, may come up with. I just know when I was growing up, I grew up in a project, so I do uh, empathize with some of these uh, kids, mm-hmm. but I don't remember ever 
worrying about whether there was going to be food on the table. Mm-hmm. I never worried about where I was going to stay that night, you know, yeah. at a home, I was going to be there. I never, you know, worried about that. That wasn't, now, I didn't have all some of the creature comforts and the latest clothes and all that kind of stuff. But right. my point is that nobody else around me didn't have that much either. So <laughs> we all yeah, yeah. Same boat. And, uh, you know, so it, I just can only imagine what these kids are going through in mm-hmm. terms of dealing with, that's another aspect that we, we maybe we'll touch on a little bit of that in yeah, your presentation. So, you know, but I think that that's a really big key in, in the kids and, and what they hear their parents talking about, you know, that they don't have any money, you yes. know, they have money for this or that or whatever, and how that, how they internalize that and what, yeah. how does it affect them uh, moving forward. And- yeah, and I think that those messages that they receive can be, um, you know, really harmful in some ways. And it's it's difficult as an adult because you have to find the balance, right? You want to be realistic and right. you make sure that your children understand like the reality of your situation. But at the same time, you know, it can put children sometimes in a position where they feel emotionally unsafe sometimes to even express certain things or like want certain things and desire it because they know that it's not a reality um, that their parents can potentially afford or that, you know, it may trigger something for the parent and then they're upset and then they're taking it out on the child. And, you know, it can really um, settle in different ways in children where they internalize those messages as feeling like they have to repress some of their wants and needs, which I'll kind of get into in, in the presentation. Um, but yeah, repressing those wants and needs out of trying to, um, you know, not wanting to upset adults in the household or not wanting to make them feel bad because of not being able to provide for certain things. And one last comment, then we'll get into your presentation. Yeah. One key sign to me that these students are dealing with uh, adversity in terms of their finances is that they're not involved in very many, or if any, extracurricular activities. Cheerleading, gymnastics, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, you know, Mm -hmm. anything outside of the school. And that they count on the school to kind of be their end all and be all, you know, in terms of a resource. And so when you get to middle school, if you haven't, let's say, for example, played football and that your first time playing football is at 12 or 13, there's so Mm -hmm. many other kids that have started playing when they were six. Yes. So they're way ahead of you. And that can be frustrating. And they, they don't have that stick to it in this. So that's yeah. a one key area that I see where if you're not, you don't have the extra money, you know, $100, $200 for registration. You know, I know when my daughters were, were cheerleading and playing basketball, it mm-hmm. was $500, a $1,000. It's expensive. Parents don't have that. So that's yeah. just, a, just a sign of that. So I would, with that being said, let me get into your presentation. Yes, and so yes. we can share. Let me see if I can, sure I can find it. Okay, there it okay. goes. All right, and let me start from the beginning. And you just tell me when you want to change the okay. slide. You can. Okay. Uh, okay, you can go down to the third slide with the brain. Okay, uh, that one. Oh yeah, we can start here. We can start here. So um, this slide kind of just talks about some of the objectives. So I can just briefly touch on them just to give an idea of um, what I'll. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of going to define financial wellness and mental health and just what it means. Right. And then we're going to go through Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is um, essentially a concept that was created by an American psychologist to kind of help us understand um, the progression of our basic needs and how we get kind of to the top of that pyramid. Um, Talking about how financial stress impacts mental health symptoms, and then also um, looking at COVID-19, which I think will be really important just because we're still in it, you know, we're talking about kind of being at the end, but we're still seeing a lot of those impacts. And so I really just want to normalize and validate some of the things that have been coming up because of that. And then also kind of just touching on different self-care strategies of how you enhance your mental wellness and financial literacy. Okay. So you can go to the next slide. Ah, the brain. <laughs> That's what we're yes, talking the about. Brain. <laughs> um, so, so basically... Um, when we define financial wellness, um, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau defines it as having control over day-to-day finances, being able to absorb financial shock, being on the track towards your financial goals, and having the freedom to make choices that help you enjoy life. 
So for me, financial wellness really comes down to your ability to manage um, finances day to day and how those support your overall goals in life. One of my favorite parts of the financial wellness definition is this idea of having freedom. So a lot of times I think people think financial wellness is about wealth, right? And just how much money you can make. But it's so important to, you know, money is important. We like wealth. But to shift sometimes from that into this space where you can think about um, how it's impacting mental health and overall wellness and the freedom to just live life, right? So having a certain level of stability. Um, and a big part of that goes into how well you're managing your mind so that you can then make these other decisions to be as effective as you want to be. And, so and, and let me let me layer on top of that. Yes, uh, of course. Back in the 90s, I, I, I was writing a column for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, which is the major newspaper here in Atlanta. And I asked my readers a question. And the question was, should high school students have to take a course on personal finance and pass it, okay, in mm -hmm. order to graduate. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Understand what I just said. Not only just take it, but pass it in order to graduate. Mm. And 93% of the respondents said yes. And so the, the challenge is, you know, when you talk about financial wellness, the thing that comes to mind is that where do you learn, you know, how to manage your money, you know? Right, literally. Uh, you, know, it, you know, when I was growing up, I, I mean, I can't think of, you know, any place, you know, and of course I'm a little older than most people, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't learn about finance. I had to bump and bruise and make mistakes. And, yeah. and, and then finally, you know, I came to the, the, the place where, uh, and that's what really launched me on a path of, you know, personal finance, writing books and all this kind of stuff. But my point is that we don't learn about personal finance, financial. They, they, uh, one, one of my, uh, one of the, um, uh, one of the financial people that I respect a lot said that they're changing the vernacular from financial literacy to financial capabilities, and yes. really they say that because they they're saying that financial literacy is something wrong with you. Like, are you literate? Mm. You know, uh, so financial capabilities, your ability to do so, but you don't learn it anywhere. So when you right. talk about financial wellness, you know, having to control over your day-to-day -day finances. Well, how, how do you learn how to do that? You know, right. uh, now, you know, did you learn any of that stuff uh, when you were growing up? I, did you have any I, experience with that? No, I will say it, it wasn't as readily available. I feel like I didn't even get into that till college, honestly, or like maybe mm -hmm. in high school. And even then it was more so because I was really blessed to have like a good support system with my grandparents who were like putting me in these extracurricular activities or programs okay. that were like creating opportunity for that. Um, but I think besides that, you know, I don't, I think a lot of times parents don't even have the knowledge yet. So the children really aren't getting, um, you know, any sort of education around this and how you develop financial literacy. And so then it becomes something that later in life, you're kind of teaching yourself. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard because a lot of times by then you've already experienced some of these different mental health impacts as a result of financial strain that pushes you towards being like, okay, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out um, the steps that help. And the reason I put this image of the brain is because when we think about mental health, we define that as like our emotional, psychological, um, mm -hmm. to well-being. And so it affects how we think, how we act, how we um, feel. And when you think about financial stress, right, or how the two interact, the left hemisphere of our brain is really like our analytical mind. It's literally responsible for, for numbers, for certain critical thinking skills, for processing, all these things. And so imagining that if you are not in a mentally well space and you haven't um, been able to prevent cer certain financial strain from coming about that might be bringing up other mental health symptoms. So anxiety, depression, things that are going to mm. 
already be impacting your brain in a different way, you don't have access to that functioning in the same way to where your brain is not even operating to where they can perform the financial literacy task that you would need to be successful. And so, uh, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was no, gonna I was gonna, what I was going to say is that to me, you know, not yeah. having knowledge about finances and, and uh, understanding how things, uh, financial things work in the world mm -hmm. is almost akin to if you gave your, your a child uh, the keys to your car, but you never talked about how to drive a car. Right. What's going to happen? They're yep. going to have a wreck. They're going to bump into stuff, you yeah. know, until they get that knowledge of how to, you know, work a car. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I have to tell when I used, when I do seminars and workshops, I tell parents and tell adults, and I say, forgive yourself for the things that you've done because you didn't have the knowledge base to yeah. really understand. You had to learn it on your own. You know, yes. um, it's almost as like how a lot of times kids learn about sex. They learn it from their friends. Well, their friends are learning more than you do. And they <laughs> yeah, are perpetuate myths and lies and untruths yeah. and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah so it, it's very key that they, they perpetuate a lot of things that, yeah. that kind of uh, challenges us to be successful in our life that we just haven't had the training for. Right. 100%. I digress. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm happy you brought that up. And I like that analogy because I think it's the same thing about um, thinking about mental health specifically in communities of color you know there was always so much stigma around it to where we are just now fully embracing that idea and leaning into it so even when it comes to parents being able to um, manage themselves emotionally and modeling and being able to teach that to their kids like if you never witnessed that growing up and so now you don't really have the capacity to regulate because you didn't learn what it looks like to really take care of and nurture your mental health or to even feel free enough to express what might be going on for you emotionally. It's kind of the same thing with that crash course. Like you don't know how to show this to your kid. Like you don't know how to create that space because it wasn't created for you. So what I found is that for a lot of um, the intersection between mental health and financial wellness, it's literally kind of trial and error, like learning as you go, because a lot of it is just teaching yourself and figuring out what works for you and how taking care of one can lend itself to the other. And, and also, I think the other side of it, folks think that when they're in a financial drought, let's say, and they're, yeah. they, they barely have money to pay Peter, let alone Paul, and, <laughs> <laughs> and they think more money will solve their problem. And yeah. to some extent, that's probably that might be true. But if you, as my mama used to say, if you a fool with a little money, you'll be a fool with a lot of money. Right. And we see that. Right. We yeah. see entertainers and athletes having tens of millions of dollars. And you're like, how did they blow that? You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and so having more money won't necessarily solve the problem. Yeah. If you don't have that that structure, you don't have that education and knowledge to help you know what to do with it. It's almost I like, agree. okay, you know, I have, I'll get a faster car. Yeah, well, if you were <laughs> driving bad with a with a with a little clunker, you're gonna really be in trouble with a with a Corvette or or a Maserati yeah. or something like that. So, you know, more money doesn't necessarily solve all your problems. You need a certain yes. amount of money to, you know, be functional and deal with Maslow's hierarchy needs. But other than that, yeah. then it's kind of like, as uh, I like to quote movies, uh, Forrest Gump said, there's only a certain amount of money a man needs or a woman needs, the rest is just for show. <laughs> yeah, literally. And that's, that's so important um, because I do think that it's like a myth that everybody is just seeking to, to have more. And it's like, you can't even manage what's in front of you. Like it's, it's just never gonna work and you're never gonna be able to stay at that level too, right? right very right. much just an instant gratification thing when it comes to just like desiring more money mm. you're never you're still not ever going to be able to sustain that wealth if you've never learned what it means to actually make right. money um we can go to the maslow's hierarchy of needs next and i'll touch on that briefly so for this um i kind of said this before so this pyramid was created by um, abraham maslow in 1943 and so he psychologist and this was really meant to kind of be um, a visual representation of the spectrum of our needs and so um, I love this because it speaks to the fact that until you kind of satisfy needs that are lower down on this pyramid it is really difficult to be able to progress and meet needs higher up so if we look at the basic 
needs, their physiological needs. So food, water, air, shelter, sleep, clothing, right? So all of those things that are our basic needs for survival to function on a daily basis. But when you go right above that notch, we're looking at safety needs. Safety needs, or for some people, they like to just say security, takes a reflection of personal security, employment, resources, health, property, all these things that really are connected to finances. And so I like to bring this in because it kind of breaks down the fact that if you're not meeting these basic safety needs, which are pretty low on our the basic needs that we need in order to work towards self-actualization, you're never going to really be able to fully self-actualize or get to these levels of having this strong self-esteem of really feeling like mm. you and belonging because you're always feeling like you're lacking or you're needing something and it's like you know it makes so much sense if you're not feeling like you're secure in your finances you don't have access to health care you don't have secure employment and you know you have to take care of a family how do you ever get to a place where you can feel like you have this solid self-esteem and respect for yourself and that you have this good status, you're likely you're not gonna get there because you're still in this in-between of still trying to figure out how do I satisfy these lower needs at the end of the spectrum. Um, and I just like to bring that in because I think it's a good um, visual representation of prioritizing needs and then also normalizing that it makes sense that people might be experiencing depression or having you know suicidal thoughts low self-esteem all these different things if they're struggling with their finances because you haven't even attended to these lower needs we can go to the next one if you don't have any questions yeah, well one of the things i wanted to look at so mm -hmm. uh, you know when you talk about these you know, physiological needs, air, air, water, food, shelter, and sleep, and so forth. Yeah, that can be fluid because you know, if you have that, and then let's say you lose your job, some of that stuff on the lower ring could be gone. You yes, know? 100%. Exactly. So you know, back with the with the pandemic and what we're dealing with, I'm sure that's what's happening. You had some of these things. You may even been up on number three, love and belonging and yeah. esteem. But all of a sudden, your air, water, food, and shelter is gone because you don't have a place to stay. You can't yeah. buy any clothes, you know. You know, so um, I, I think that, that that's that, a great the, point. Yeah, I think that those things can be fluid. You could go back. You could drop down on on and Maslow's hierarchy. For of sure. Needs. For sure. You know, it's it's not a. I, I get the self actualization and I stay there. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can easily kind of be moved between them. Um, and then this slide kind of just talks about some of the potential mental health impacts that come from financial stress. So if we think about financial stress, that is more so a term that just talks about um, financial or economic events that create extreme anxiety, worry, a sense of scarcity on some level, and it's typically accompanied by some sort of um, physiological stress response. So you talked earlier, Dr. Ross, about like how you experience it in the body too. A mm -hmm. lot our anxiety can um, lead to genu genuine like physiological reactions. So you might be experiencing issues in your digestive system. You might be noticing like headaches, dizziness, a lot of fatigue. Um, you can even experience like muscle aches. It can really manifest in different ways. Um, and I think that's important to note too, because I think sometimes um, people think anxiety and you just think it's this constant worry, which is definitely a huge component. Um, but the way it shows up in your body is huge. And for some people, um, it's almost more of a cue to what they're experiencing mentally. Is when you can really pay attention to like what your body is experiencing and what it's trying to tell you. Um, but some of the potential mental impacts from financial stress uh, are extreme anxiety, depression, anger, lashing out at others, hypervigilance, sleep disturbance, substance abuse. Um, weight gain or loss, seeing relationship dif difficulties, isolation, um, self-harm, thoughts of suicide, trauma, and then of course I also listed intergenerational trauma, which I just kind of want to touch on a little bit too. But before I start, do you have any thoughts or questions? Well, when I saw this, and I don't know if we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. but as soon as I saw that list, the one thing I thought about is the ACE study. Yes. Uh, are you familiar with the ACE study, yep, Adverse Childhood it. Experiences? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And all that stuff is part of that ACE study, which, yeah. you know, we can't go deep into it. But basically, uh, the ACE study is a study that was done years ago. 
And it talks about that when kids have had when kids, as you, when you're young and you go through a whole lot of different uh, childhood experiences that can impact you and it can predict, it can predict with, with a certain amount of certainty, uh, your life experiences and your life expectancy. And whether yes. you'll have um, heart disease or diabetes or high blood mm -hmm. pressure or substance abuse, yeah. they awaken all these things come from trauma that, mm -hmm. that you experience real young. And we yes. all have trauma of some kind. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a, and that's a whole, I got to maybe do something on that, how to raise, but that's what yeah. I thought about when I saw this, the ACE study and how yes. the, some of the things that may impact your, your health is based on some trauma you've dealt with which can be related to financial stress, even in childhood of growing yeah. up in poverty and lack and really not having, you know, money to do a lot of the things. And that takes it, you, you, you know, self-medicate or you eat yeah. too much, you know, yeah. because your comfort few food to make you feel yes. good, you know, yeah. uh, you isolate, you, you, you have relationship issues and things like that. So, you know, yeah. all these things happen. happen. I, that's what I thought about is the ACE study, which yeah. uh, for those who want to look it up, it's ACE and it's Adverse Childhood Experiences. If you want to look that up. And then there's a, a survey, a 10-question survey yes. that you take to predict. And it really was, it was insightful for me to do that because it explained a lot of things that happened in my family and maybe mm -hmm. some of the things that I experienced. Yeah. And uh, so it gives you some insight, like, why did, that, why did that happen? Why was I doing that? Why was I eating right. too much? Why did I gain weight? Why was I depressed? You know, why couldn't I sleep and these kinds of things? So that's what I thought yeah. about, you know. Yes, uh, it's, it's so connected. And I think, too, you know, a lot of it's important for parents to, to understand this, too, or just adults in general, because I think, like you said, it's so connected to childhood and the trauma you experience and how you carry that over time. A lot of times, especially when we're talking about the weight gain or loss, when I always get a lot of questions around that because people don't usually. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Connect that always. Or they're like, how does that manifest? And you sometimes see a lot of parents shaming their children around like gaining too much weight or doing these different things, but mm. understanding that it's really. Um, a trauma response or like a direct result of their environmental stressors and experiencing this poverty. Or even if you look at the idea of being like in food insecure environments where you're not even having access to more nutritional foods or buying things that might help them with regulating body weight because all they're eating every day is McDonald's or the things that they can afford, right? Because mm -hmm. it's within their means. And so even that can contribute to um, overall health and how you develop over time and it's also still connected to the idea of financial stability and what we have access to based on our means. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent stuff. Yeah. And then um, last thing I just want to say for this slide, the intergenerational trauma. Um, this is so important for me to always highlight just because um, a lot of times, specifically in, in Black communities, um, financial instability or just poverty has really been passed on for generations and just in cycles. And so I, I think it's important for people to think about that because if growing up, you didn't have these different um, people who were modeling money management and you weren't able to see that, it makes sense that you maybe haven't developed these habits on your own at this point to be able to step into that. And I think um, it's important to realize that this financial stress that you maybe even carried in childhood with always feeling like there was uncertainty and mm. you 
what's going to happen next is now still kind of carrying with you that same anxiety, those same trauma symptoms into adulthood. And um, just normalizing that, but also speaking to the fact that, you know, you can be that person to break that generational cycle. And it all just starts with opening yourself up to understanding some of the things that we've even been talking about today, Dr. Ross, in terms of how do I care for my mental health? How is that connected to how I handle financial stress? And then also looking at um, the fact that when you're able to lean into that and gain these skills, you then are able to change um, the trajectory for generations after you by being able to teach your kids these financial literacy skills that you may not have had um, when you were growing up. So I think it's just so important to keep in mind how it really just continues until that one person maybe does um, have access or gets this information and resources to be able to take it into their own hands. Yeah, and, and that's and that's so true. I know when I talk with uh, some of my friends from the old neighborhood, so to speak, and we talk about, uh, and all of us were poor. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money else we wouldn't have been living in the projects, <laughs> you know? Uh, but we ask, he said, well, what made the difference, you know, in terms of us, and our trajectory in terms of our success, whatever you, however you want to, you know, um, you know, categorize that is not necessarily about money, but what you deem is success that you reached your goals. And the one thing that kept coming up was we got the heck out of the projects, <laughs> mm, yes. you know, and, and, and so that's interesting is that you had to get away from the environment that may not necessarily hold you back. But you yeah. had to get a different peer group, a different surround yourself in a different surrounding and so that you can see a better way to live. Yeah. And that and I didn't know it at the time, but you know, that's everybody I talked to who's not dead or in prison, uh, that that they got out of the projects. And that's yeah. and, and 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 that's a comfort for, for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but that might not be the best place for you to be long term. So right. you know, with that be being said, um, I think those are the things that I think about. We talk about intergenerational poverty. I'm mm -hmm. sorry, intergenerational trauma. How that can be perpetuated. Sometimes you have to get yes. away from the environment that you're in, and away from family too. You know, from the folks that might be holding you back. You yes. know, so anyway, all right. Yeah, and even thinking of this like in a a different way too. I um I feel like a lot of people typically say like you know what you're saying like manage my mental health and do these things, but it's like how can I how can I have the capacity to do that when I'm dealing with this stress right in front, right? right? Which, which makes 100% sense. Right. Um, but I think it's the idea of being proactive. So like not thinking about waiting until the moment of financial crisis to be able to manage the mental health that really helps you in long-term. And so we'll get into later um, some actual concrete steps you can take that will actually help you manage your mental health so that when you're getting to a level where you might be in experiencing some sort of financial crisis, you've already built up um, your mental health toolbox and your resilience in a way that you can better manage and respond in a different way so that you may not naturally go to substance use in order to cope. You may not go to these other risky behaviors because you feel like you have other strategies in place. Gotcha. Okay, so we can go to the next one. Okay, so this slide um, is about caregiver affect management. Um, and I love this image of just the flight attendant putting her mask on. We reference this a lot as this idea of, you know, putting your mask on first and taking care of yourself before you will be able to help and take care of somebody else. Um, and I think it's so applicable in different um, environments and specifically when thinking about financial wellness. Um, because it's that same idea that until you put your mask on and learn how to manage money and take care of yourself in terms of mental health as well, you will not have the capacity to be able to then care for the family or do whatever you need um, to support yourself. And so caregiver affect management comes from this framework um, in the psychology realm called ARC, which is Attachment Regulation and Competency. Um, and it's basically this idea that um, as caregivers, which caregiver can mean that you're a parent, but can also mean you're an educator, you're um, a therapist, like, you know, all these different roles where in some capacity you're caring for somebody else and that they look to you um, in some way. 
Um, it's important that you develop your own healthy self-regulation skills so that you can then understand, be able to manage, and then model that for whoever is kind of looking up to you. And so I like to just touch on this because I think parents become flustered and overwhelmed or just adults in general. And then that's when you start to see the relationship strain is because I don't know how to manage uh, my own financial situation or my own emotions. And so some of that might be then taken out on family members or friends and mm. that. And so it's like, I can't help anybody else regulate if I can't help myself. Um, and so I just like to, to touch on this concept of caregiver affect management. I like that analogy. Put your mask on first. Uh, take mm -hmm. care of yourself because you can't take care of somebody if you're drowning. You know, you've got to right. make sure you put your water wings on or your life yes. vest on or whatever. So you make sure you can take care of people. And mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I would think that you have a lot of people who uh, are so prone to take care of family members and take care of other people, but never think about what they may be needing. You know 100%. what they may may have may have the deficits in their uh, caregiver strategy that yep. is creating uh, problems for them as well. Yes, a hundred percent, and that's why it's just so important because our tendency is to care for others, you know, and not to look to ourselves. But it's so important to kind of look in first. Um, the next slide we can go to it kind of directly connects. I like this transition because we're talking about the metaphor of putting your mask. Mm -hmm to thinking about literally COVID where we've been wearing a mask every day right. for safety and for literally to take care of ourselves. Um, and, you know, COVID-19 has had such um, an impact on mental health and finances. Um, and so I kind of just want to talk about it a little bit just to um, shed light on some of the things that might be coming up while we're in this pandemic and then also kind of looking at a few ways to manage it. So you can click um, to the next slide, uh, Dr. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so some of the different um, results that you'll experience, can you click it one more time for me? Okay. Too little, okay, yeah, perfect. Right. Um, so some of the mental health impacts we've seen so far as a result of COVID-19 our anxiety, depression, um, increase in the amount of substance abuse, trauma, grief and loss, feelings of hopelessness, fatigue, um, among many other things. Um, and I just wanted to point these out too, because this is actually the biggest peak the mental health field has seen in years in regards to people seeking therapy services. Wow. Which is huge, you know, and in some ways, um, really big for us because it finally is putting people in a space where they're prioritizing themselves and their mental health needs. Um, and it's also caused us to get really creative when we look at telehealth and doing virtual sessions. It's increased access to mental health in tremendous ways. But at the same time, very disheartening because it's clearly like we're having this extreme peak because of the severity in which people are experiencing these symptoms and really kind of feeling like they're at their breaking point. Um, how has, you know, in, in a normal time, yes. uh, we can remember when it was normal, that you would come and see a, a, a therapist. Mm -hmm. How has it, how has the, um, I guess the challenge and not being able to be in person created another level of stress you yes. know? Uh, because yes. I want to be in, I want to, you know, be in somebody's presence. I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to, you know, if not figurative if not, if not figuratively, but literally mm -hmm. lay, you know, lay on the couch, you know, yes. <laughs> so to speak. Yes. and you can't do, well, I guess you can do it virtually. You can lay on the couch, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> but it, has that added another layer that you've had to deal with in it addition really to all the other stuff? It has. I mean, I think, you know, you see a lot of different sides. For some people, um, they've loved this idea of telehealth and, you know, being able to stay in the, the comfort of their home and, you know, not feeling the stress of making it to this office for the appointment and things like that. But I think overall, for majority of people, it has created a layer of stress, not only for them, but also the therapist, because a huge part of therapy is like really establishing that safety in that space and really um, 
kind of using the connection in the room to be able to bring things out. And so it's really hard through virtual sometimes to create that same level of connection and safety. And you're not being, you're not able to pay attention to like body cues as much and like read body language. Mm. And so it can be really difficult. You have to really lean on other skills to make it um, as, um, as enriching, I feel like, of, as an, of an experience for them to really feel connected and safe. And then I would also say for the client, for them to feel, you know, just validated and, and warm. Like it's, it's hard sometimes to feel those different things through a computer screen. And so I think that does create a different level um, of stress and almost even disconnection in some ways that if they were in person, they would have been experiencing a different level of feeling supported and comforted. But I would say it just has really pushed us as clinicians to get innovative, to try and alleviate some of that stress and kind of empower the client a lot in terms of letting them kind of take control of what they want this experience to look like, how they want it to be, giving them some freedom um, because we create a lot of like games and interactive things through virtual to kind of engage them. And so I think it gives them in some ways more of a role. Um, so I think that can be helpful, but I feel like overall for people, you prefer the in-person connection. Sure. And I, th I think one of the things that I thought about, my wife and I love to go and get massages. Yes. And I like to think that, you know, going to see a therapist you know, and I don't know if this analogy will work, but this is what I thought of, <laughs> is that when you go to to get a massage, you know, they cut mm -hmm. the lights down, you're laying on a nice, you know, soft, you know, bed or whatever. Uh, they've got some nice music playing. They've got some aromatherapy going on. <clears throat> so they're creating an environment that lets you lean into the massage. And I would think you're going to a therapist, you know, uh, you know, and, I, and I've been to your office and you've got things mm -hmm. in your office that are, yeah. you know, um, uh, things that, I'm sure you can refer to, or you created that space yeah. so that when a a client comes into that space, uh, they feel warm and comfy mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And so trying to do that virtually, they're yeah. in their space, which could be caustic if you're doing yeah. a virtual counseling and, and it, it may not work as well. So I just think that, you know, that's a big challenge right now it to is. try to create that. I can't imagine, well, first of all, I couldn't get a massage virtually, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I would think all those things you just can't create in a virtual environment. So it, it creates another barrier to be able to be effective in, in what you're trying to do in terms of, you know, making sure people are safe and secure and, yeah. and can lean into the therapy that you're suggesting that they do. Yes, I agree. Um, and I think too, because a lot of people feel comforted, especially for my kids that I work with, we have like a lot of fidgets and like sensory items because that okay. can be calming and grounding. And so I think the telehealth aspect has been um, in some ways for that limiting because they don't have these, but it's um, again, it gives us a chance to try and encourage the clients to think about what they have in their own space at home and kind of using those things and bringing those in as a way to still feel grounded and connected when we're having the virtual session. So definitely requires a lot of innovation, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> and I would say I feel sometimes like a little bit more disconnected. Like I miss the, those in-person feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then for just the finances on this slide, um, this just highlights some of what the financial impacts could be. So looking at job loss, issues paying rent or mortgage, utilities, um, difficulty affording medical care, child care, problems affording food, feeling like you're using savings quicker than you normally would because you have to support yourself because of this drastic shift. Um, and that child care one really sticks out to me, probably just because of the population I'm working with right now. But mm -hmm. you think about how much caregivers are juggling in terms of a lot of their kids staying virtual and it's like, do I go to work? Do I stay home because somebody has to supervise my child and make sure they're getting on virtual learning? Like, do I, you know, and, and even in that and trying to juggle priorities and figure out how you can still meet financial needs, but also feel like you're being 
the most supportive and effective you can be as a parent, I think adds a whole other layer to the type of mental health symptoms you might experience. And then all the is all the you know an education and and because mm -hmm. uh, that's the area that that I'm in and Jose works in our school. Uh, some of the milestones that you don't get a chance to celebrate, like yeah. for example, in elementary, the fifth grade promotion services yeah. and middle school, eighth grade, let alone high school graduation, which yeah. uh, so, some schools this year are going back to in-person that last year they missed that. So they mm -hmm. won't have those photos, you know, of, of the yeah. celebration or whatever they do in graduation. The, uh, you know, for high school and then the promotion services from, from eighth grade to ninth grade and from fifth grade to sixth grade and all other things that they miss can just layer on top of that, that yeah. can create a big challenge for uh, a lot of parents to have to deal with. I just can't even imagine, you know, and all my kids are grown and out of school. <laughs> I can't even imagine, you know, having to, to deal with that and, and missing that. You kind of work up to that as a parent, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. And now what, you know, um, yeah. you're trying to find somebody to blame, but you can't, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, but this is an aside. The one thing I, that keeps me focused on and get some, some sense of, of normalcy in mm -hmm. science is that the virus is just trying to survive. I yeah. mean, it's an organism. It just so happens it needs a, uh, a, in this case, a human organism to survive and reproduce. And that's all it's trying to do. It's eating you know, whatever it eats, you know, when it's mm -hmm. attached to us and then it's reproducing and then it's mm -hmm. mutating so it can still survive when the vaccine comes out. So you have mm -hmm. to marvel at that to some extent and say, that's ingenious, you know, looking at God's work and saying, hey, this thing is trying to mutate and survive just yeah. like, a, you know, wow. just like, I, you see what I'm saying? I, I, mean, heard that. I like that though. I think it's I mean, so even, even in now we're trying to, if, if humans are trying to mutate, and when I, I don't mean mutate mm -hmm. like Marvel superheroes or anything like that, they're <laughs> yes. trying to adjust the way they live, okay? Right. And so they can survive, you know? And, um, and, and and how successful, and that's the resilient part of that. I think you have some of that, you know, coming up in your slide, but mm -hmm. that's the part of just being able to, to make it through. You adjust, you mutate your lifestyle, so to speak, so you can get through day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. Anyway, yeah. I just thought that 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 to me is just it, it's a side that makes the virus uh, right now it's our enemy number one, yeah. but it's, it makes it it humanizes it to some extent and leans on science to say this is why this is happening. Definitely. This thing yeah. is trying to survive. Okay, yeah. you know. So anyway. that's a good reframe. I'm gonna use the actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah, permission. <laughs> I think it can, um, you know, I think that can help too with certain anxieties around the virus, uh, right. just like this whole pandemic and stuff. I, yeah, I really like that reframe. So because the one thing they haven't done, and I hate to say, but television is not, can be good at teaching us, but if you watch the news, you don't get to the science as to yeah. why this is happening. They just tell us what is happening, you know, um, yeah. and if they explain some of the science behind the virus, I think that would help people to understand it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, understanding Godzilla, you know? <laughs> Why is Godzilla? He's a lizard. He's coming to destroy stuff. You know, he was a nuclear... Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just saw that new Godzilla movie uh, just the other day. I, I heard Tom. it's good. I haven't it's seen it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but I think the science part, <clears throat> to me, helps you understand what you're up against. And For that sure. may, then also the science would help People understand you got to wear a mask. You got to practice social distancing. Here's why. And yeah. so I think that, you know, uh, oftentimes that uh, I, I get to the point where I'm saying maybe the education system has failed a lot of people because they understand. Then you have biology, you know, then you understand viruses and bacteria. Yeah. You go back and pull that book out and cool. revisit that. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, go, continue yes. on, Jose. I'm okay. sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, you can go to the next slide, actually. Okay. Two slides down. I'm going to touch right. self-care. Yes. So this is kind of where we get into just talking about some of the concrete steps I was saying for how you actually take care of your mental health. So I wanted to just start with like, what do we mean when we say self-care? So this is a word that's 
you know, very popularized now. It's kind of thrown around. Um, but I want to, you know, emphasize that self-care doesn't have to mean that you're spending a lot of money, right? So a lot of times now, um, self-care um, has really been um, glamorized or really um, equated with luxury, which by all means it can be. Um, but I think it's important to think about the small ways that you can also care for yourself, especially when we're looking um, at populations that are really trying to focus on saving or building a certain level of financial wellness. And so they don't wanna spend everything on self-care and taking care of themselves. And so self-care um, should mean and look different to different people. So it can be as simple as um, you know, lighting a candle, going outside for a walk, or just standing outside for fresh air. It can be doing deep breathing. It can be taking a hot shower. Like all these things that are really basic daily activities that you might do, but you've never thought of that this is actually a way that I take care of myself. This is actually a way that I regulate and kind of calm back down when I might be experiencing some sort of anxiety. Um, and a really good way to kind of test what works for you when you're thinking about what self-care strategies do I wanna implement is really monitoring and paying attention to how do you typically feel when you're getting anxious or you're noticing any sort of body cues and then paying attention to what is your typical go-to to kind of calm that back down. So even looking at watching TV can be a way of self-care, things like that. So when I work with my kids, they're always like, self-care, I don't know what that is. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> but you know, it's like really getting them to think about like, okay, well, when you're at home and you're triggered and you're getting upset and you're in this argument with your parent, what's the first thing that you want to do to calm down? Like, what kind of helps you get that sigh of relief and brings you down and brings you to like a centered state as opposed to being at that heightened state? And, you know, it might be for them like going to play basketball or like, going outside or take a walk, just walking away from the situation. All of those small things can be considered self-care strategies and are things that you can start to implement daily into a routine and ritual so that you're maintaining your mental health on a daily basis. So not waiting to the point where you're at a heightened level or you're in crisis, but looking at, okay, how can I use these things that calm me down daily as a practice so that I'm kind of already um, building up this toolbox and this sense of resiliency for when I do encounter um, different stressors. So do you think that, that you recommend that, that people do uh, uh, self-care on a daily basis? I, I do. I, I think for some people that feels too much. So I, I always encourage whatever feels realistic. I like to say at least do one good thing for yourself each day, one form of self-care. But I also think like weekly or now I wouldn't go as far as monthly. I think at least weekly, from my opinion, you should be doing something to, self, to care for yourself. And I think daily is actually more realistic than people think. It's just a matter of really identifying what are the the tangible or the little things within your home that are ways to care for yourself. Even if it's taking those five minutes at the end of the day before bedtime to like reflect or meditate, um, or the first thing when you wake up in the morning, you spend that time in a specific way doing like a gratitude exercise to start your day. Anything that kind of helps you center, that's technically self-care. So you can think about how to do it in smaller increments of time so that it doesn't feel unmanageable for you on a daily basis. Awesome, awesome. Yep, and then for the last few things, I know we're getting uh, towards the end. Yes, this slide, um, I love this slide. It talks about the different forms of self-care. And I think this is important too, because people sometimes hear self-care and they, um, the view is very narrow. We think it's only about um, ways that we're like maybe caring for our bodies with like getting our hair done or haircut and nails and, you know, these, these more, um, I don't want to say materialistic things, but sometimes that is like the view when it comes to self-care when mm -hmm. really so many different domains of how you can care for yourself. So on here, we have physical, emotional, social, spiritual, personal, um, space, financial, and work. Um, and of course, for today's um, purposes, I'm really going to lean into that financial form of self-care because most people don't look at finances as a way to care for 
themselves, right? It's a mm -hmm. point of stress. It's like something that you put off and procrastinate because it does create these different mental health symptoms. But I want to propose the idea um, of financial wellness being a part of your self-care. So when you're mm, like saving, that. budgeting, creating these monthly things and how you work that into a routine. So it's like, this is actually a part of taking care of myself and will prevent me from getting into these periods of financial crisis as often because I'm doing these daily, weekly, or monthly practices of self-care that center around financial wellness as well as my mental health. Yeah, we got about a minute left to go, and uh, I just want to thank you. I think that financial, yes. the biggest challenge I see with the financial self-care, as we had said at the beginning of the program, mm -hmm. having the tools and the knowledge to do it. Right. So one of the steps would be, you know, a lot of the colleges have continued education programs, mm -hmm. um, you could buy a book, you could go yes. online, <clears throat> spend some time mm -hmm. to learn the things that are going to help you. And I think yes. that's the key. That, that I think a lot of people have to understand is, 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 is getting the knowledge so that part of your self-care becomes automatic. You know, yeah. even if you're not saving to save $2, five, something, something to save yeah. moving, create a budget. You could go online and find all kinds of, of information for that thing. Um, just got about 30 seconds. Any last comments, Jose? No, I just want to thank you so much. I love this conversation. I hope it was helpful. Um, again, I'm Jose Muldrew. I do have a business called The Looking Glass. So you can also reach me at www.thelookingglassjm.com um, for more just free mental health resources. And now you tell me you had a side. We could have talked know, about I'm that sorry. as well. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to uh, send me that information so we can stuff. so we can share it on the social media. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, thank, thank you so you much, Jose. This is your personal finance with uh, Dr. Charles Ross. We'll see you next week at uh, this same time at five o'clock. Yes. Have a good evening. Bye.